Hello everyone, I'm Mike Ward and welcome to Conversations in Healthcare, a series of fireside chats brought to you by DRG, part of Caravate. This is an opportunity to hear firsthand the, the challenges and opportunities facing the healthcare industry and how business leaders are in the sector are actually managing them. In the past decade, the treatment of cancer has improved with the emergence of truly transformational approaches such as checkpoint inhibitors, cell therapies, and oncolytic viruses. Many of these advances uh, were made in academic research labs, and the challenge has been to translate the science into a, a clinical setting. In line with this, I'm, I'm delighted to be joined by Stephen Russell. Uh, he's the founder, president, and CEO of Viriad, a private clinical stage company uh, based in Rochester, Minnesota, that was spun out of the Mayo Clinic and is developing proprietary oncolytic virus therapies to treat cancers with significant unmet medical need. Last year, Viriad signed a strategic uh, agreement with Regeneron uh, for the discovery and development of new oncolytic uh, virus treatments for cancer, as well as developing a new antibody test to determine protective immunity from COVID-19. So Stephen, I, I hope you and those you care about are, are keeping safe and well, and thanks so much for joining me. Thanks very much for that intro, Mike. So, uh, as I mentioned in the, the intro, Stephen, uh, we've seen some incredible advances in the, uh, the field of immuno-oncology in recent years uh, with the emergence of the immune checkpoint inhibitors, CAR T cells. So what role do you think the oncolytic viruses might have in, in the treatment of cancer? I think the oncolytics are the third leg of the stool. So if you look at immuno-oncology, there's, um, as you mentioned, there are the checkpoint inhibitor antibodies, which uncloak the tumor. Um, there are the T cells, which are attacking the tumor, and they can be uh, either stimulated in the patient or they can be adoptively transferred um, with CAR-T therapy. And then um, there's, there's a need for a third leg, which is some way of stimulating the um, amplification of the T cells in the patient. So it's sort of the vaccine leg. And there are many approaches being taken, but the advantage of oncolytic viruses here, and the reason I see them as the winner on the vaccine front, is that they can be an antigen agnostic vaccine. They come in and they spread in the tumor and they kill tumor cells in situ in an inflammatory um, setting and they thereby stimulate the host t-cell response and there's an amplification of t-cells so they're the perfect combo to use um, in conjunction with checkpoint inhibitor antibodies and even in conjunction with adoptively transferred t-cells. So what was the discovery that you and your team made that actually underpinned the, the creation of Thuriad? Well, it was more a life goal for me than a specific discovery um, that, that took, took me into the, the field. And um, it was a change in the um, rules regarding entrepreneurism at Mayo Clinic that allowed me eventually to form the company. So... Um, you know, I've been pursuing oncolytic viruses ever since I was uh, leaving medical school. And I think, uh, you know, that cost me a few um, jobs because it didn't go well down well at job interviews. Um, 
But eventually I found my way to Mayo Clinic in 1998 to launch a new program um, in molecular medicine, which ended up being focused on oncolytic viruses. And uh, the program grew to a department. We recruited in a lot of faculty who were working on different aspects of oncolytic virotherapy. We built a number of platforms. We built a translational machine to take leading viruses into clinical testing. And that need and desire to form a company around the technology had been there for quite some time when in 2013, Mayo Clinic changed its rules of engagement and created an employee entrepreneurship program that allowed um, faculty now to form, take ownership positions in and serve as officers um, or board members in uh, startup biotech companies related to the technologies they worked on. Um, so that was really the trigger, the employee entrepreneurship program launching at Mayo Clinic. Right, and and the, the, you sort of said that sort of the rules changed. I mean, what what had sort of you know prompted uh, that change of heart or, or that change of direction? Well, I think it was the evolution of science. Um, you know, I think in, in uh, many moons ago, you know, it had been the case that in academia people would pursue curiosity-driven science, and it, you know, increasingly over the years, it's it's become more. Um, technology, um, clinical application focused. And I think you've seen the change occurring across the world that academic groups are getting much more involved in, um, in technology de development, small company formation. And so Mayo had long been worrying about that. They had a fairly conservative set of rules about faculty having nothing to do uh, with any company that um, used technology that was being developed in their labs. And so it was a pretty bold move on, on the part of Mayo Clinic. And I think the reason Mayo had had that uh, rule was because of concern that, um, you know, that Mayo doesn't want to be on the front page of the Wall Street Journal for the wrong thing. And it was all this concern about conflict of interest. So uh, th there's a fairly tight conflict management system been put in place to allow this employee entrepreneurship program to go forward. But it's, you know, it's been a, a pretty um, important step for the clinic to allow some of these pent up technologies to get out there and be developed. Yes, because I guess in the past, the, the, sort of the, the, the business model would have been just to license that uh, technology yep. to, uh, a another a, a third party that then you know takes takes ownership of, of the whole programs yeah and then what, you lose then you lose that sort of um you know inventor uh, involvement in the development of the technology which can be a problem so so what you know in that sort of role as being a founding uh, sort of scientist and you know, the sort of ceo and the president of the company what what, what has been the sort of the thing that has surprised you most about creating uh, a company? Oh, now that's uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I the the thing maybe that surprised me most is how enjoyable the whole process is. It's it, it's such a uh, a broad spectrum of of different. Um, you know, aspects that have to be taken care of. It, it's, it's totally broken me out of that sort of um, 
physician scientist role that I had at Mayo Clinic all those years with um, everything taken care of. I mean, one of the very important things is I never knew why we had to pay 60% of all the money that came in as an indirect to cover infrastructure costs at Mayo Clinic. I just took it for granted that there was a legal department that, you know, the labs were maintained, that all the equipment was provided for us to do our experiments, um, you know, that any new facility we might need was uh, somehow built, that, you know, money would come from somewhere to make those things happen. Obviously, building a new company, you have to do it all yourself, and you have to start looking at all these different aspects of a business um, that, you know, you're, you're protected from when you're a uh, um, a professor in an academic institution uh, but it's fun and it, it's 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 quite energizing and exciting to have multiple different moving parts that all need to come together um, in addition to the science and the um, you know and the clinical progression of the product um, going on the other thing I like is that um, in in academia we're driven by um, peer um, uh, approval and so you know the, the the best thing that can happen in academia is that or you know all your colleagues say well done great job nice paper um, you know come and give a talk at this meeting or that meeting in in um, industry it seems to me it's more honest uh, in that uh, if what you have doesn't work nobody's going to buy it and so it's absolutely uh, doesn't matter who's telling you they think you're good or not. You really have to get this thing to actually go somewhere um, to be successful. Uh, and, and talking about, you know, having something that, you know, if it works, people will buy it. Uh, last year, as, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, you, you know, Viriad established a research alliance with uh, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, um, essentially to explore the potential of your approach in combination with, with their IO programs. C can you sort of describe actually how that relationship, you know, first came about and, you know, like who sought out whom? So it goes back to 2017 was the first time I had a meeting with the Regeneron business development folks. And uh, around that time, there was a great deal of interest from pharma in oncolytic virotherapy. You know, a lot of companies were emerging with their um, uh, checkpoint inhibitor antibody programs. Uh, it, the search was on for, you know, what to partner those programs with, and oncolytic viruses were attracting attention. So I think quite a few pharma companies were deciding internally that they needed some kind of um, angle on oncolytic viruses, and that was best achieved by partnering with the small companies. And, and at, at that time, there were probably 40, maybe 45 um, small oncolytic virotherapy companies. So, um, you know, Regeneron were among the companies with an IO program, and they actually sought me out. Um, and we met at a, an oncolytic virotherapy meeting in Miami. And I also met with a couple of other big pharma companies at that meeting. And, um, and then the, the, you know, the dance began. And with Regeneron, it was a long, slow process. Um, with one of the other companies, it was very fast. And we actually got to a term sheet in 
the spring of 2018, so just a few months later. But that it was a painful time that because we couldn't come to agreement on the terms. And, um, you know, it was important um, to make the right choice of who to partner with. So uh, we actually turned um, that company down and it was, you know, after that we continued to work with Re Regeneron. We talked to other companies, but what Regeneron business development folks did was they made sure that, um, their scientists connected with our scientists, that their clinical team connected with our clinical team, that the chemistry was good, that the interface was good, that there was going to be a, uh, a good, healthy, productive, interactive collaboration there. And so I, I was very impressed by the way in which this relationship was orchestrated by the folks at Regeneron. Uh, they didn't get too worried about um, the speed at which things were moving. You know, they, they, they were quite comfortable that they needed to take their time and find a relationship that would actually work for them. They were very concerned that the technology should be uh, interesting, exciting, robust, that there should be lots of things that could be done with it, that it would have a future, even if the immediate um, sort of clinical trial in front of us wouldn't work. So, um, so yeah, it was a, it was a good solid process, obviously frustrating for us, uh, that it wasn't moving faster because we were spending our money and, um, you know, we were expected to keep on executing and delivering on clinical data. But, um, that meant I had to go back to my investors and say, Hey, I, I need some more money to kind of keep this show moving forward. Uh, while we complete our, our negotiation with Regeneron. So, so what was it that you, you know, as Viriad, what was it that you were looking uh, from, from a partner? Well, so we, uh, we felt it was critically important that the partner had their own uh, healthy IO program uh, with a checkpoint inhibitor. Um, clinical stage. And so that actually was, you know, it thinned it down a bit because not everybody was at that stage with their IO programs. Um, we obviously wanted might, um, you know, we wanted the company to have uh, internal strength in immuno-oncology so that we as a small company would be able to access expertise that we don't have in the company or didn't have at the time in the company. Um, and we wanted to be able to access infrastructure for, you know, late stage development, et cetera, should, um, should our products get to that point. But, you know, the other thing that um, we found in Regeneron, uh, which I now consider to be um, extremely important, although I wasn't really thinking about it at the time, was optimism. And what I did, I talked to a lot of pharmaceutical companies and generally, there was a suspicion about the technology that we were developing and an anxiety that it mightn't work and that the wheel might fall off and there were all kinds of uncertainties and these meetings were sort of um, colored by that in that I would be trying to persuade um, the pharma company representatives that actually we had an approach to solve each solution. 
what happened with Regeneron was every time a problem came up, they got excited and said, yeah, we, we've got something that could help address that. And, you know, all these bumps in the road that, you know, put other people off with Regeneron, they were just the excitement of developing the new technology. I mean, there were truly enthusiastic scientists and I, I didn't find that anywhere else. And it, um, you know, it's, it's still, I'm so pleased that we did actually end up working with Regeneron. And, and it's really, you know, since we completed the, um, the contracts with them, um, it really has been a blossoming relationship. Uh, so can you sort of describe, you know, sort of, you know, since last fall, you know, how, how has this transformed you know, Viriad as a company? So Regeneron, I think, understood exactly what we were and what stage we were at. You know, we're a relatively small company um, with um, maybe 15 employees. Uh, we're now considerably larger. We have a uh, total on-site here, uh, about 40 employees. Um, and we have, you know, we have our science labs, we have our manufacturing facility, we have our offices, and, you know, we're, we're a much stronger company. Much of that is on the basis that Regeneron have been regularly meeting with our um, scientific, our clinical and our um, manufacturing teams and have been nurturing um, each of those areas inside the company. I mean, they have brought enormous um, experience and uh, knowledge to bear on each of those areas as we've gone forward, but it's also encouraged us to step up to the challenge. You know, we never want to come across um, you know, badly in any of these areas. And we're having regular meetings, you know, every week there are a number of meetings with the Regeneron folks. So it is a, it is a pretty um, close relationship. They've invited us over, for example, they brought our manufacturing team over to uh, Rensselaer where their manufacturing campus is, where they employ something like three and a half thousand people, you know, many of them engineers. And you know, it was like being in the candy store for us. We just got to see how things, you know, can actually work once you get to that stage. And we were able to bring back a lot of that knowledge and it helped us to build our own manufacturing capability here. You mentioned that, <clears throat> you know, one of the, one of the things that uh, impressed, has impressed you about Regeneron is their, almost their can-do attitude that <clears throat> when, you know, challenges arise. Uh, recently, Viriad, uh, you know, announced, you know, sort of that uh, that antibody test, in, you know, for COVID nineteen. I just, you know, you guys were working on oncolytic viruses. Where did the idea come that actually, you know, you might have a place in sort of tackling um, uh, that particular challenge? Well, you know, oncolytic viruses uh, is all about virus engineering. And, um, you know, for oncolytic viral therapy, you have to worry about delivery to multiple target sites. And we've always been focused on systemic oncolytic viral therapy. We think it needs to be given via the bloodstream to reach multiple metastatic sites. So, um, you know, we've had to worry about stealth, about having viruses that can circumvent that um, antibody that may be in the bloodstream. Um, 
we've had to worry about um, targeting because having delivered the virus to the tumor, um, it then needs to spread in the tumor and needs to do so specifically. So we've done a lot of that targeting and then we need to worry about how to recruit the immune system. So there's a lot of engineering of new um, genes encoding immunostimulatory gene products into the virus. So virus engineering is at our core. Um, and the platform that we were working on with Regeneron um, is the vesicular stomatitis virus platform, VSV, which is a, it's a virus that typically infects uh, cattle in Central America and the Southern United States, causes a, um, uh, a blistering illness that affects the mouth and hooves, and it's, it's self-limited. It's, it's, um, farmers sometimes get infected and they get at worst a flu-like illness. So uh, VSV is a great platform. Uh, when we did this deal with Regeneron, you know, one of the tricky parts of the deal was that Regeneron wanted the entire platform. Now, we do have other platforms in the company, but they wanted BSV. And, you know, that was, um, that was a, a tough part of the negotiation. In the end, we did roll the entire VSV platform into the collaboration. Um, so we're heavily focused on VSV. And then the COVID um, uh, um, pandemic came. And it was already um, well known that VSV had been an important tool in the fight against Ebola. You know, because not only can it be used as an oncolytic, it can also be used as a vaccine platform. Um, and VSVs can also be engineered and used as a way to um, detect neutralizing antibodies against other viruses. So you can decorate the surface of VSV um, to make it look like the surface of another virus. And so... Um, we had intellectual property covering the use of VSD as a diagnostic, and we decided that's where we'll go first. We'll make a VSD that has on its surface the SARS-2 coronavirus spike in place of the VSD G protein. That virus then was a perfect target for looking for neutralizing antibodies against the virus, and we built an assay around that. Now, when we first um, started this work, um, how do I say this? I forgot to um, clear it with Regeneron. And so, you know, we just made this recombinant VSV and we had agreed with Regeneron that we wouldn't do uh, VSV development outside of our collaboration. So I, I you know, as soon as I realized, um, I spoke with Regeneron and the, um, the response was just great. You know, I think it was a Thursday afternoon conversation with the, um, you know, the head of the research program that we're um, collaborating with them on. And then I got a call Saturday morning saying, I've cleared it, every level in the company, we're totally on board, we'll work out the details of the arrangement down the road, but you just keep your foot on the accelerator and keep developing this. Um, you know, and I think that was Regeneron's attitude at the beginning of the um, of the pandemic was what can we do to help and you know let's just do it so it, it was it was very nice and um, you know they obviously have now licensed that um, test and they have 
um, then done a deal with Mayo Clinic. So it's being offered now as a clinical test at Mayo Clinic. I mean, the relevance of it was that the, you know, prior to this test, the way you needed to detect neutralizing antibodies was to do a level three sort of bunny suit um, assay where you took the actual clinical isolate of the virus and showed that you could neutralize that. So this allows you to move out of level, th uh, level three and do it with lower containment, which means you can do a much higher throughput to detect neutralizing antibodies. Yeah, so, I, so as it was, because the original deal actually covered the whole of BSV platform, then, you know, in many respects, you know, Regeneron would be, you know, potentially interested in this because they're interested in BSV. Um, and, you know, COVID-19, I guess it wasn't something that you, know, you would normally expect Regeneron to be interested in sort of antibody tests, but, you know, it, it kind of worked. But you weren't actually, that wasn't really legislated in the, in the original conversation. So this is just something that you've developed just in the sort of the, the I guess less than a year that you've actually had that relationship with general is, is there something you know if you were you know start start having negotiations with another pharmaceutical or, or large biopharma company um what lessons have you learned from that relationship with general that you actually sort of think actually this will build resilience into the deal Well, I've learned a lot about the different components that get looked at in a negotiation. Um, I've learned a lot about how those uh, negotiations go over, you know, what, who's controlling what, um, what is actually changing hands, you know, what are the potential payment structures, um, and, you know, how do you arrange the collaboration in such a way that there is a synergy there because there has to be that and you, you do have to anticipate that you know things might go wrong and how and and how will you avoid that and then and then I've learned that you you know it's important to work on the relationship you know any relationship there are going to be little things that aren't working you know that are irritating but you know it's the it's the uh, broader um relationship that um ends up being more important so i think i've i think i've learned a lot i think i would um be much more comfortable um you know working out an, an arrangement uh with one of our te other technologies with another uh pharma company you know if and when we get to that point we, we we sort of you know our company um uh thesis really is that we, you know we're focused on viruses we um we believe we have great virology expertise um we want to um either create or in license early stage viral technologies and we want to de-risk them by taking them through the um early stage manufacture phase one uh, possibly phase two clinical trials, and then we want to pass them on to a pharma partner. So we envisage there will be other viral technologies, and we already have them kind of developing in the company that will uh, kind of move into this kind of same model. Um, 
and um, and I, I I think it's going to be very important when we do negotiate with other pharma companies that we're not um, financially compromised. You know, I I think that um, as I said to you with the Regeneron uh, collaboration, there were times during that when I was thinking I'm not sure you know where the um, where the dollars are coming from, and I was having to do a dance around that, which um, is uncomfortable. You know, I think it's preferable not to be in that position. And then you can really just focus on what makes sense for a collaboration and take your time over it. Okay. So, so as, as a sort of final question then, so, you know, what are the sort of the, the next sort of, um, you know, sort of business milestones that uh, you're uh, hoping to, to meet, which might include you know, more fundraising? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, as I said at the beginning, you know, this is biotech business industry is honest. And, you know, you're not going anywhere if you don't have something that works. So that's absolutely fundamentally, you know, the core driver for everything that we do. We have our oncolytic virotherapy program. We have multiple oncolytic virotherapy trials. We're constantly scanning. We're looking for where is the signal? And, you know, where do we actually definitively have a pathway to a product? And um, I'm not going to talk about uh, any detail on that, but we do have clarity on what I think is a very, um, you know, strong path based on a, a strong set of data, um, you know, with multiple responding patients. Um, the assay is something that, clearly is commercially viable now. And, uh, you know, it's been licensed through Regeneron to Mayo Clinic, um, but we also uh, have got ourselves clear approved so we can provide that assay here um, at Viriad through our sister company, um, Imanis. And um, that I think is an important um, business area that we're going to um, develop. Um, so it's really efficacy is is the the key focus on the business front um i don't know exactly what the future holds for the company um clearly uh given what we're proposing to be access to capital is going to continue to be an important um aspect of our our business model for at least you know a few years to come um and I'm thinking it may be the right next step for us to look at an IPO. Um, but, you know, if we do that, we've got to look at a mezzanine investment round. We've got to bring in the right uh, group of investors. And we have to make sure the company is configured to be a public company. Um, so that's, that's a path that we're actually looking at. We're not in any rush. Um, you know, financially, we're strong at the moment. Um, so, um, so we're, we're thinking about it. Acquisition by a pharmaceutical company is not something that, um, we really are aspiring to or chasing. Um, we're really enjoying this and, you know, if the company were bought, we'd all be sitting twiddling our thumbs wondering what just happened. So I, you know, it's fun and we think we can do a lot. So. We'd rather stay independent.
So, Stephen, thanks so much for for taking the time to to talk to us today. I, I'm sure the sort of you know the insights and and the enthusiasm that you shared with us uh, will resonate with you know many leaders in, in in your position. So, if after listening to this broadcast, you'd like to tune into future conversations in healthcare, um, follow our uh, LinkedIn page where we'll be posting alerts to the episode releases. Uh, so in closing, I'd, I'd like to thank Stephen again for joining us and, and thank you, our listeners, for, for, for tuning in. So until next time, stay safe and healthy. Uh, I'm Mike Ward and I'll see you in the next episode.